Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. This is the Soho Radio Podcast, showcasing some of the best broadcasts from our online radio station, right from the heart of Soho, London. Across our music and culture channels, we have a wide range of shows covering every genre, along with chat shows, discussions and special broadcasts. Here is just one of our recent shows. To catch the full show, head to our Mixcloud page or listen live at SohoRadioLondon.com. pretty sure that's the first time that wonderful, wonderful song by Hatzesta Metal has been played on Soho Radio. My name is Karen Shook. Welcome to Dock and Roll Radio. It's a Friday evening. We are here in beautiful downtown Soho. And I'm here to talk to you about two fantastic online screenings of great music documentaries. Given that Dock and Roll is the UK's music documentary festival, it's hardly surprising that I would be talking about those things. And the best bit is that the two films I'm going to be talking about and that we're going to be showing you coming up very soon, um, these films were made by a young man and film director named Graham Bendel, or Bendel, um, <laughs> depending on mood, uh, who's joined me in the studio. Graham, thanks so much for coming. Hi there. Thanks for having me. So, so we were talking about how your name might be pronounced, and it would appear that you are happy with either version. Yeah, I mean, e- either works, um, whatever. Yeah, I think it's Bendel, but um, as I, I was saying, Bendel sounds a bit more exotic, a bit more pretentious. So, we, you know, whatever you feel like. Well, I think pretension might come up today. Um, <laughs> I, am quite, I am quite pretentious. Pretentious well, moi. I think you know a few musicians who are pretentious. Now, the reason that Graham has agreed to come in uh, is that we will be screening the, have I got the wording right, the world online premiere. Yeah, of- that's absolutely correct. Um, Billy Childish is Dead hasn't shown online before. And, um, I mean, it hasn't screened anywhere for about... 10 years so it's yeah it's quite a big thing for me actually well and uh and all his fans we are very excited to have it this is an acclaimed 2005 documentary about a character many of you will have heard of um and many of you may have some ideas about now the other film that we are screening oh and i should say in case you're wondering well when is this we are screening it worldwide via Doc and Roll TV for two weeks only from the 17th of September until the 4th of October. And that's an exclusive. So that's Billy Childish is Dead. And a second film brought to us by Graham, Upstairs Planet. And this is something that we're offering for a second time due to demand. We premiered it online for two weeks during June. And that film is over to you. Upstairs Planet about Martin Newell and the cleaners from Venus. Um, which, yeah, it, it showed on Dock and Roll, and it, you know, it really did well. And it's about Martin Newell, who's a kind of DIY psych pop 
um, artist who, if you don't know what he sounds like, I guess it's, uh, you know, to someone who doesn't really know his music, XTC, Robin Hitchcock, um, sounds like all kind of things, really. You the know, great English eccentrics with fantastic pop hooks. Absolutely. And, you know, there's so much else in there. There's like Hawkwind, there's um, Matt Monroe, there's, you know, crooners galore. Um, it's just, I mean, he sounds like, you know, not one or two bands. He sounds like, you know, a hundred different kind of people, um, depending on what album it is, what time period. And even one album can have, you know, so many different kind of styles and sounds. So he's, to me, I mean, he's a fascinating artist. And the fantastic thing about radio is that not only do we have the director of a brilliant film about him describing it, but I can now play you a song by that very artist. So um, I asked Graham to suggest some songs, both from Billy Childish's oeuvre and from Martin Newell's. And we're going to start with a song called Incident in a Great Coat. That was the splendid Cleaners from Venus, and that track was Incident in a Great Coat. You are listening to Dock and Roll Radio on a Friday evening on Soho Radio. My name is Karen Shook. We are talking about two wonderful films of the many wonderful music documentaries uh, that we have coming up shortly. And to help me with that, as I have already mentioned, I have coerced film director, writer, journalist, all-round brilliant guy, Graham Bendel, to join me in the studio. Graham, he's he's doing his jazz hands. You can't see that, but he is. So a lot of you will be familiar with Graham's work, um, but for those who aren't, he's written for all kinds of great places, The New Statesman, Prospect, The Big Issue, and he is, of course, a film director, which is why we've lured him in, because he is responsible for a documentary we're going to talk about later, the one we're just about to talk about, Upstairs Planet. He's the editor of a couple of volumes of poetry, poems for the retired nihilist. Do, I don't know. Do nihilists ever retire? It's um, more a calling, right? Uh, Not I a like, day job. I like that title, actually. <laughs> it's, uh, I don't know how I came up with it, but um, I tried to get the book into one Waterstones, but the person there said, oh, we don't have a section for retired nihilists. I'm not even joking. They said Seriously? that. Seriously? Yeah. I'm being <laughs> Did you absolute... keep it straight face? Like, really? Just active nihilists. <laughs> well, at first I thought, hang on, is that a joke? Because that's quite good. <laughs> yeah, it but is a good one. it wasn't a joke. No, seriously? Yeah. Oh, no. I mean, okay. Um, and you're a novelist, so your debut novel was called A Nasty Piece of Work. Um, yes. Again, yes. bit of an edgy title. Well, yeah, that's another <laughs> a title that I thought was really original. And I really made sure that there was hardly any, any books called A Nasty Piece of Work. And since I put that out, there's about five books called A Nasty Piece of Everyone Work. Everyone else is going, man, you nicked that. I want that. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it, it was, it, it, it really kind of fitted with the actual subject matter. And um, it, it, it was just like a perfect title, even though it was a kind of, you know, it's a bit of a cliche yeah. in a way, but I just thought, yeah, I, I want that. And there's nothing else really called that. I think there was a spitting image book called A Nasty Piece of right. Work, but that was so long ago and it, and it was out A of lifetime print. ago. Yeah, um, yeah. And um, it was, featured the artwork of uh, Clive Barker. That's a pretty big name for a debut novel. 
Yeah, well, um, I was kind of quite lucky to get Clive Barker's artwork on the front cover. Wow. But I actually spoke to H.R. Geiger. Well, I didn't speak to H.R. Geiger. Oh, you wanted H.R. Geiger, but he wasn't available, so you got Clive. Is that it? (laughs) (laughs) I shouldn't have really said that. um, No, initially, I mean... Clive Barker's amazing, but initially I spoke to H.R. Geiger's agent and uh, H.R. Geiger, I didn't think there's any chance in hell that I'd get him even to respond, but he he sort of said the book sounds really interesting, the idea sounds interesting, Mm. but he doesn't do that kind of thing. He only does stuff for himself, artwork for himself, which made total sense. And um, then I thought, oh, right, you know, what's the... I mean, who who else can I get? You know, what's the next best thing? <laughs> oh, yeah, Clyde Barker's not that great, but I <laughs> uh, no, no, but no, it was it was I, I couldn't believe getting brilliant. Clyde Barker. I mean, yeah. that that was a real coup, and he was so brilliant about it. And he said the book sounds really great, and I'd I, I, I'd love to um, let you have the artwork for this. And uh, crikey, and the artwork f- kind of fitted in with the book as well, and. Uh, I suppose it did help sales as well. And it's kind of what you need if, if it's your debut novel. Absolutely. Well, I say debut novel, but um, so it was actually my fourth. Oh, okay. There's and, three and I, others. And I remember um, a, a publisher said that, you know, he just published someone's debut novel, but it wasn't their first, it was their right. fourth. And he said that to me a long time ago, and I thought, there's no way on earth I'm going to write another three of these things because it's like, you know, it drives <laughs> you insane. Yeah. And then, alas, you know, years pass, and you, you've kind of written four novels, and it's, uh, um, yeah, so that was the nasty piece of work was the first one that I kind of I, I put out there. And so what about, your, so your most recent novel is Dress Rehearsal Brags and A to Z of Unpopular Culture. So was that one of the three you wrote earlier? Or did no, it indeed no, come that, after? that was after. That right. was something different, mm-hmm. and so, um, that that really went down well. That that was people really liked that. Um, not to drop names, but uh, oh, drop some names. Ma- come uh, Matthew on, Wright Wright stuff, um, mm-hmm. Wrighty or whatever. He um, read the book and he he he, th- he took a sickie from work and he he said he had a duvet day and he read the thing and it's it's not that long you know he just read it in one day and he said he absolutely loved it and he he just said we must have been at the same clubs the same places because right. it's all about a misspent youth in the 80s so mm-hmm. it's like going to hawkwind gigs and um club dog and all these kind right. of places and you know taking drugs and um you know, doing all sorts of silly things. Um, yeah, so Matthew Wright, um, he he loved it. And who else? There was, oh, Suzanne Moore, the journalist. Fantastic. She really liked it until the point where she said, I liked it, I thought it was really funny until you started slagging off my friends. Right, well. And, uh, <laughs> and I was like slagging off people in the book, left, right and centre. And I think um, she thought I was slagging off Christopher Hitchens and Nick Cohen, all these sort of journalists and... Well, I was slagging off Nick Cohen, but I wasn't slagging off Christopher Hitchens. I was just telling a story about him. So, and yeah, Dress Rehearsal Braggs had all, all sorts of anecdotes about, I don't know, there was one how I got mugged by Kevin Rowlands from Dexys Midnight Runners. In actual fact, I didn't get mugged by Kevin Rowlands of Dexys Midnight Runners. It was someone I, th- I thought, thought was, was him, him, but it looked, Same it was a lookalike, and it was in, Ki- in Kilburn. And... 
I don't know, there was a story I did called How I Killed Dan Tracy, and it was about the night that I, I met up with him, and it, it was a night that went totally wrong, and then I thought I killed him. <laughs> it's a long story. Quite too, glad that you didn't, although, although claiming the death of people does seem to be a theme in your work. Now, what I really <laughs> want to ask you is, I'm not saying it's easy to write a novel or to edit volumes of poetry about retired nihilists, but it is kind of a desk job. The reason we have you in today is that we're talking about films. Films are a heck of a lot more work than writing a novel. Am I right? You've got to move around a lot. You can't stay at home. You have to deal with other people. Did you know what you were getting yourself into when you took on this first film? Um, the first film, Billy Childish is mm. Dead. Um, I mean, that the whole filming of that from start to... I mean, it took about five, I don't know, five to six years, maybe seven years... And the whole of that was a nightmare. To, to things like borrowing equipment off my brother, having a shout fight. out to Graham's brother. <laughs> <laughs> having, Thank you. Having a fight with him in the street. Um, we were still relatively Your young. Your brother? Then. Or yeah, yeah. Not Billy Childish. No, no, not Just not checking. Billy. Um, my brother and him taking back the equipment. Oops. For about the best part of a year, and and me not speaking to him, and. Just Billy kind of, me falling out with Billy. Um, I mean, there was other interests as, as well. There were other people who wanted to make films about him. Mm -hmm. And uh, so it wasn't going particularly well, um, not having any equipment, not having the subject of so your film. It's a bit of a drawback. With novels, even in a pinch, a pen will do. Uh, making a film, you yes, need some gear. Yes. So, um, in in fact, the thing that saved the whole Billy Childish is dead project. I think Billy felt a little bit sorry for me because <laughs> like I'd there lost you all my equipment. No <laughs> I didn't have any, <laughs> you know, didn't have taken. any budget, didn't have any equipment. And then I said to him that I was going to get Shane McGowan to be in the film. And that was a, a time when Shane McGowan was, wasn't doing anything. He wasn't doing right. it. You couldn't find him. He was just like off the radar. Filthy McNasty's in the corner. I think he was Same. back in Ireland at the time. Oh, he, right. he, he, I don't know. It was just he. He wouldn't kind of appear in anyone's projects. He wasn't. Sure. He wouldn't appear in documentaries. And and at that point, I said I was going to get him for the documentary. And Billy was like, "Oh yeah, sure, you know." And and then and then I just try, try, I followed him. Well, I, I tried to speak to his agent Joey Cashman his manager Joey Cashman and I'd do things like turn up at his hotel he was supposed to be staying somewhere and then I'd find out he wasn't at the hotel he was in Brighton and this would go on for like weeks me going to the hotel when he's supposed to be there he wasn't there and then eventually I did get him and we went for a drink and I filmed uh, I filmed him in a pub and it was it was great it was a great interview and it ended up in the film obviously yeah there's so many great stories we can tell about this. I'm conscious I'm getting ahead of myself because we're still in Martin Newell territory. Let's hear another Cleaners from Venus song. Now, this one, again, these are all selected by my directorial guest. This is Only a Shadow from Midnight Cleaners. Any reason why you picked this one? Yeah, I, I think it's the mo one of the most famous Cleaners from Venus songs. And, and also the band MGMT, they covered it. Right. Which kind of brought... Which brought um, Cleans from Venus to the attention of the masses. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so it's, it's an, a big song for the Cleans from Venus and Martin Newell, who is essentially the Cleans from Venus. So it's one of my favourites. But there again, it's really hard to be asked to just pick a few songs because oh there's so many. Massive body so of work. Many. Well, we're lucky that we've crammed a few in. So here we are. <laughs> 
in the grand scheme of things, the cleaners from Venus may be a footnote, but what an amazing footnote that is only a shadow. So if you're if you're just hearing the cleaners from Venus for the first time, huge, huge influence on people like MGMT. Uh, Martin Newell worked with XTC. Ariel Pink loves his work. John Cooper Clark, contemporary. Mac DeMarco, you can hear all that. And the good thing is if you like what you hear, there is a lot to hear that you haven't heard yet. So the reason we're playing this, my guest in studio here on Dock and Roll Radio is Graham Bendel. And we are showing Graham's film, Upstairs Planet, online from the 17th of September to the 4th of October on dockandrollfestival.com. Graham, tell me about this man. Martin Newell. I mean, he is incredibly prolific. He um, He's made so many songs. He, he started off making albums, just putting them out on cassette. He uses um, home recording equipment, four track. And I think he said somewhere recently that he loves the kind of the limitations of using four track it's like being in a cage where it enables you to be brilliant so i think it kind of stops you it stops him from um asking so many questions of the technology uh, you're very limited so you've got you're in a position where you have to be creative you have to be uh innovative within you know within that kind of limited framework um, so he, he just puts out really amazing stuff and he does a lot in a, in, in the past, he's done a lot of the, uh, playing himself, but he, he was, he played with a guy called Lol Elliot mm-hmm. and that's a real Who we coup. we see in the documentary. Yeah. Lawrence who's very eccentric and he's in the documentary and people really loved him. And nice pith helmet as well. It's not really a pith helmet. It's more a straw hat, right? Yeah, I don't, I don't know what it was, but I, I made sure he it's kept it on. It's a good hat. <laughs> yeah. And, um... So, so Martin Newell, I, I describe him, he's, he's like, um, I mean, I know Billy is very, he's kind of charismatic, but he can be, you know, a little bit of an introvert as well. But mm-hmm. Martin Newell, he's, I describe him as a raconteur. He just takes over. And in fact, I describe him as a psychedelic Peter Ustinov. He's just incredible. He just goes and goes. You put the camera on him and he'll just talk and he'll just tell all these anecdotes and he'll go on about this he'll make jokes he'll make puns up and it can be kind of quite you know too much sometimes so you know you can't include everything but he's very entertaining he's very erudite and he's very I think some people loved you know they loved his diction he's uh, and I think they love that thing about him he's the English he's a very likable English eccentric because you can have eccentrics that aren't that likable. I mean, not everyone... I mean, a lot of people like Billy Childish is Dead. They really loved it. There was one person who said you wouldn't really want to go for a drink with him or if you saw mm. him on a tube, you'd mm. kind of cross over to the next carriage. Mm. But in another way, I think that's because someone like Billy it can be quite intimidating. Yeah, whereas Martin? Martin's a little bit more lovable in a way. But, yeah. but also when Martin was younger, Martin Newell, I think he was very, uh, he was intimidating to people and he was quite, um, he was quite spiky, he was quite kind of forthright and probably, you know, formidable. Uh, So I think at this point in his career when I made a film about him, he was easier to deal with and he was very cooperative and he was very kind of like humble. 
as in like, why, you know, wow, you want to make a film about me? And I'm like, yeah, damn right. I want to yeah, make so a tell me about how this conversation went. I mean, did you know him through poetry? I mean, you edited volumes of poetry. He's a poet. Um, was well, it through gardening? Did he I, do your garden? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I basically um, found, I, I was in, I've, I've I was in Reckless Records, actually, and I just mm-hmm. heard this. Just around the corner from here, that yeah, one. Yeah, yeah, it was this one, yeah. Here we are in Soho, yeah, man. Yeah, of course, That's... yeah. I'm, I'm revisiting <laughs> this scene of, uh, you know, where I first heard Martin Yule. Yeah, I was in Reckless Records, and I just heard this track, and I just thought, this is incredible. Um, and I, I don't usually do this, but I, I asked the guy, uh, you know, who worked there, um, what is this track? And he said, it's The Cleaners from Venus. And I'd kind of heard of them yeah but I was thinking hang on a minute how can you not uh, attract this good how can you not know the artist right and then a bit later maybe I don't know a bit 15 minutes later he played another track and I said sorry but you know what's this and he said oh it's from actually from the same album but it was something complete it sounded completely different it sounded like a different kind of band and it was a different sort of style of music I was like wow these two songs on the same album this is i've got to check this this artist out and and i and i didn't understand how i could not know about who who these who the cleansers from venus were so i did my research and i just um decided to find out about him and thought you know there's he's an interesting person there's a story here so i'm going to track him down and you know and insist that i make a film so you went to wivenhoe in essex well i just spoke to him on the phone initially (laughs) and um there was actually someone kind of making a film about him and but it was just a short thing Mm -hmm. um it was just a promotional thing but funnily enough they're they're actually still trying to make a film and it's got progressively longer and it was never supposed to be that long but I don't know maybe maybe it was but uh so but I I just thought I've got to make a film on him you know, regardless. And usually I would be like, oh, well, if someone's doing something else on him, I, on an artist, I don't, I'm not interested. But this was different. I had to make a film about Cleans from Venus and Martin Newell. So I, I did, and I, I was really, really pleased about it. How long did it take, Graham, from, from that moment in Reckless Records to when you approached him, started making the film and completed it? Because this film came out in... Mm, don't Two, test me 2019. Here. So still so, shiny and new. So so when did you start making the film? It was a couple of years. It was made really quickly. Right. Um, compared to how I've how long it's taken me to make films about um, Billy Childish and Vic Goddard. I mean, Vic Goddard was. Yes, uh, you guys. Graham does specialise in brilliant English eccentric musicians. He's got all three, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, actually, that's what my brother said. Um, and also, I think Eddie Argos uh, from Art Brute, he was like, he was really uh, interested in the fact that I, did, I made films about three of his favourite artists. I mean, I know he likes obviously likes other people, but he was particularly yeah. interested in these more, um, you know, under-the-radar sort of... Uh, kind yeah. of cult sort of acts yeah but yes it is a bit like that i've got all, got all i couldn't have wished for like you know i mean these three films are just perfect for me and, and they are this trilogy of lo-fi kind of english eccentrics with an independent a fierce independent spirit and uh, i call it the tea trilogy 
Right. Well, because we see Martin in his kitchen just, yeah, just, just he, he, stirring his cup. And... Yeah, there's there's kind of um, – there's some – well, I wouldn't say that it's like particularly that exciting, the tea scenes, but Billy's on stage with his flask drinking tea at some points and uh, Vic Goddard in, in Derailed Sense, he's on stage with his tea flask and, yeah, uh, Martin has tea at some points in in the film, but so – I don't know. I think I was just trying to rip off that thing of the, um, what, what was the Simon Pegg the uh, the Cornetto trilogy. I thought oh, I'll have I'll have a trilogy of my own. I'll call it the T trilogy. But I think um, the uh, Simon Pegg <laughs> made a lot more money than I've made. Well, I want to hear another track from Cleaners from Venus. Um, this one again is one that people might know quite. Um, if if you know any cleaners from Venus, p- people will probably recognise this. And this is from Going to England. Do you want to say anything about living with Victoria Gray? Other than that it's great. We should hear it. Um, I think, yeah, on the strength of Victoria Gray, um, Dick Taylor from The Pretty Things mm-hmm. wanted Martin. I love Dick Taylor. Yeah, he wanted Martin to write for The Pretty Things and there was a meeting arranged and Phil... May walked up to Martin and looked him up and down and sort of inspected him and said, no, I write the songs. Oops. So, um, yes, but I think they were all impressed by Victoria Gray and it's one of the best, most incredible songs. I think where have, I found out about it from Grant Morrison, the uh, graphic artist. Right. I think he put it on, he posted it on social media I'm pretty sure it's the Grant Morrison. It could be just a random Grant person Morrison. named Grant Morrison. Could be, but, <laughs> but we'll never know. I'm pretty sure it is <laughs> oh, that okay. one. All right. That one. And yeah, yeah. He and that's the first time I heard it, and it is the most incredible song. Before we hear it, okay. So you meet someone and you say you've made films about people, and 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 they say who's Martin Newell, and you say Cleaners from Venus, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And they say, okay, give give me one song that will tell me something about it. And with a really diverse artist, it's hard, right? You just want to yeah. tell them, go buy all these records. I would say Victoria Gray is probably the one, um, but strangely, I must say I didn't like it that much Seriously? when I first heard it, and I think, how did I not? What was wrong with me? You know, why didn't I like it? It's, it's amazing. But um, I think most people, they when they initially hear it, they, they think it's, it's quite accessible. It's not kind of hmm. underground. It's not kind of noise. It, it's, it's a great, um, it's brilliant lyrics, brilliantly structured song. And, um, you know, it could be in the charts in a way. And all this on four track. Well, let's hear it. This is The Cleaners from Venus. Beautiful. That was Living with Victoria Gray, The Cleaners from Venus, and the wonderful Martin Newell. I've been to Wivenhoe. That's a, it's oh, a great place for it a, is a, it's a poet, eccentric place. gardener. It's gorgeous, though, at those kind of lost bits of England. Well, not lost if you live there, obviously, but, you know, a yeah, place that it, Londoners don't necessarily go. It, it made filming, uh, you know, a very kind of pleasurable experience. I can um, imagine. It's yeah. quite you know, exciting taking the train up there. Yeah. And um, so... 
We have Graham Bendel in the studio. This is Dock and Roll Radio, as I've reminded you. If you're just tuning in with your wireless or your laptop and uh, wondered who's wittering on about what, um, we're talking about a wonderful film called Upstairs Planet about Martin Newell and the best cult act you may never have heard of, The Cleaners from Venus. Um, you know, we talk about music documentaries a lot. We interview directors and I think people make music documentaries and watch them for a lot of different reasons but it seemed to me other than that you have a soft spot for great eccentrics that you mentioned to me earlier that you're really interested in what makes people tick do you think you found out what makes Martin tick yeah well I I think the important thing is to try and work out um what make oh sorry I'm not speaking into the mic um it, it's to try and work out what makes these kind of artists tick and um you know try and w- work out and, but not it's my films aren't just for kind of musos or people who are into kind of cult right. artists mm-hmm. it's about people it, I think the films have to have uh accessible kind of overarching universal themes so you can understand things like i don't know lack of searching for approval thwarted ambition parental issues drugs there's a lot of that um, coming up in these films all of that yeah and and there's a lot of similar uh issues in the three films vic goddard billy childish and martin newell yeah not all the same not right. all the same um issues i think maybe billy and Martin, there was some sort of shared issues, maybe like things to do with uh, father, father issues. Um, maybe more so with Billy. Yeah. But I mean, that's a, that's a kind of common thing where people who don't know anything about underground music, they're going to watch the film and they're going to kind of relate to it, but they might not know any of Billy's music. They might not know any of Martin Newell's music, but everyone's got a you know everyone has parents and and I, I think it's important to make the films work on a on a kind of a certain level um and i and i really like it when people go to the films and they don't know anything about the artists and they, and they say things like oh, you know i didn't know anything about vic goddard but i really want to you know i want to know what the next what album i should buy you know what's the best yeah. album to buy to get into him and um because so, they were interested in him in him as a person from your film and therefore they wanted to yeah not- i mean but I, I suppose obviously i put the artist in the cultural context right but it's just got to be a little bit deeper it's got to work on kind of more levels than just um oh this guy you know he sounds like this artist he did so this he like did it. that and yeah. he did this album which was recorded by this producer or themselves we've all seen those documentaries graham yes we we, we don't need any more of them (laughs) yeah yeah so there's but also i think with with my films as well um i mean there's a lot of punk films and they have um they're, they're about punk subjects but they have like about 40 or 50 people working on them. And then they have like 12 interns working on them. And my film is just like one person. That's me just doing everything. And I think that that's more in tune with the kind of independent kind of punk spirit. I mean, I don't like to say punk too much, but I sort of will. But, and I do get a bit, 
narc. I know it's unprofessional, but I, I see some of these documentaries about certain punk bands, and I think they're not very kind of. They don't, you know, they tell the story in a way, but they don't capture the yeah. Feel I, and of I wouldn't want to see them. Milieu. I wouldn't want to see them more than once. Right. And I and I like my films to be um, the sort of films that you could watch more than once. And, the and catch reason, all the strange little bits. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And I, I guess, yeah, people do like the fact that they they say that, how come, you know, you're, it, you they like my films because I leave in certain things that other directors or producers yes, wouldn't yes. include. The awkward bits, the rough edges, the raw, the, the odd bits that other people would tidy up. Sorry to interrupt you, but I was so impressed watching both these films that you... Um, we were talking about Tom Stoppard and the pause. I mean, you're pretty good at capturing the awkward pause in things and keeping the camera on someone longer. Oh, do you, do you mean and, like... Um, um, oh, uh, I was thinking maybe more like Harold Pinter with the... Oh, the... Sorry, but it is Pinter. What am I saying? Oh, my God, they're going to take my English degree back. <laughs> yes, the Pinter-esque pause, not the Stoppard-esque pause. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I, I, I guess there is that. I mean, I really, really love Harold Pinter. But yeah, awkwardness is, I guess, kind of factors in there a little bit. But I, I think it's because I don't have a producer, I don't have right. a production team, I don't have executive producers, I don't have that kind of structure to my films. It's just me. And um, yes, it's, it's. I've said it before that it could be unhealthy in in a way, but in another way, it means that I can do what I want. And yeah. And I've got a kind of idea about what I want to do. And I, I just, and I've got a good knack of knowing what kind of works in the film. And, um, but, you know, sometimes you, you could do, you could try that and, oh, let's put something in there. And it's like really kind of unconventional and it looks too contrived. You're trying to be too wacky. You're trying to be zany and, you're, mm. and it just doesn't work. But, but when there's certain things I know that will work, you know, juxtaposed with other things and, um, yeah, I, I feel that um, I, I'm really pleased with the way that all the films have worked out. And but I, 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 I'm even though I don't have this kind of, I don't have these producers. I do ask um, people for their opinions. I like feedback, uh, and I take that on. So that that helps as well. So I'm not getting, I'm not being too self-indulgent because that is the risk with, you know, doing these kind of lo-fi films that you're going to just be too self-indulgent and there's no one to rein you in right no one to say really well when you when you talk about martin saying that you know to an extent he makes a virtue of the limitations of the four track i mean obviously you're dealing with limitations when you're a one-man filmmaker also budget also all those other things do you think you've made a virtue of some of those limitations i mean i, I like the fact that a lot of upstairs planet is Martin outside in Wivenhoe or in his kitchen stirring his cup of tea or um, uh, footage of him doing a reading or his or his wife. Uh, for those of you who haven't seen the film, the, there's just a fantastic marital moment where she says she doesn't really like his work. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I think I've made the film kind of in simpatico with the, the way the artists mm -hmm. work. So, the, yeah, there is absolutely that kind of freedom um freedom um by limitation right and i guess that freedom comes from 
people not telling me what to do, um, but also using the kind of equipment I do and not having proper sound equipment and having this, like your, people will note that some of the sound is quite bad, there's background noise, sure. but that kind of, I mean, I personally love all that and it kind of creates a kind of good um, sort of atmosphere and it's rough around the edges. It's not prettified. In fact, Billy said when he allowed me to make a documentary about him, he just said, don't make it too tidy. Right. That was his advice. Hmm. And it might have, he might have said other things like don't F it up <laughs> or whatever. But, uh, <laughs> or else. Um, yeah, so he... Yes, it is. It is rough around the edges. It's not kind of prettified, and um, but that's the thing. You know, if you're going to make a film about these kind of subjects, sometimes it feels weird when you're making a big budget film about a kind of independent, punk-inspired right. uh, artist. Yeah, so I'm, I just keep kind of slagging off these kind of no, low, totally uh, these high-budget kind of documentaries. They kind of. I don't know. I'm jealous, probably. That's it. Sure. I mean, it's a huge commitment to take on to make a film without big money backing, without big crews and stuff. What was there ever any point in the making of either of these films? Or, or say, let's talk about Upstairs Planet again. How do you make these films happen when it's just you and there's no one oh, paying you to make them? You know what? Um, could I go back? Sure. To Billy Childish is dead. Absolutely. And because yeah, to answer your question, some... it's a really, really good question. Hmm. Could, I, could I just read that? Yeah. It's, um, it was basically the premiere of Billy Childish is Dead um, many years ago. When, when was it? 2005. And, when um, you were a child filmmaker. I know, a fledgling. <laughs> and I was asked to write about the experience of making Billy Childish is right. Dead. And I've totally f I've forgot about this. Uh, you know, I was just tidying up my office room whatever <laughs> and uh your yeah. 15 story office your yeah. assistants brought in this document oh that's great thank you uh, for bringing it in and i think this this kind of sums up hang on let's see my eyesight's been getting really bad lately let's see if i can actually read oh god <laughs> I, I i should be wearing glasses but i just haven't got you're too vain to... is that it <laughs> I, I think glasses would probably suit me but um oh no hang on let's have a look let's see if i can Read this, hang on. Right, this is about the making of it. Um, okay, and this is about the making of Billy Childish is Dead. Yeah. It had always been an ambition of mine to make... I, I need a magnifying glass. But anyway, um, right, okay, let's try this. Um, it had always been an ambition of mine to make a film. I think that this ambition was probably forged somewhere between making the thousandth and hundred thousandth cup of tea for some charmless director. Like others, I was a runner when I was quite young. I remember thinking that one day oh, it would be me who would be delivered cups of tea while I slouched on a sofa in Soho, editing suite. Everyone would hang on to my every word and potential supermodels would hand feed me sushi. But little did I know that years later, while making my very own film, there would be no making of tea, no sushi, and somehow I would be carrying all my own equipment in a laundry bag. I also didn't foresee that the subject of my incredibly important film would be hectoring me on a regular basis and telling me why no one likes me. But what did I expect, trying to make a, a full-length film about an underground legend, and especially someone that others had tried to film but had failed. 
Um, that's the opening paragraph, and that completely reminds me of, um, you know, making your first film, and it's nothing like you'd ever dreamt of. Like, yeah, because I used to be around here working as a, a runner for various production houses, and um, I think, yeah, I always wanted to be, you know, make a film, but uh, I never thought I really would. But this has been the great thing about making these three films because a lot of people say, you know, you have to have a budget of this much, you have to have a production team, you have to have a producer, you have to have all the, these things, and you certainly have to have experience, you have to be qualified. And I had none of that. And I think the reason for me doing it in a way, even though I do sometimes um, say things about Billy, I think he, he definitely really inspired me to you know to have the confidence to go and make something without being qualified because he always talked about the glorious amateur and i thought um hang on that could be me i could be the glorious amateur i could make a film with no prior experience and mm -hmm. uh you know to be fair to him it was really good of him to to allow me to do that because he did have a lot of people who were very interested in him at the time. And, I mean, okay, there was a Channel 4 thing on him made by um, a director called Paul Tickell. And I was actually uh, interviewing Paul Tickell um, about a film he was making for Hot Dog magazine. And I remember at the end of a phone call, he said, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to break up the phone call now. We're going to have to speak a bit later because I'm going down to Chatham now. And I thought, hang on a minute. There's only one reason anyone would go to <laughs> Chatham. Would go to the Medway. Yeah, it yeah. would be. That's to like <laughs> see uh, Billy Childish and you're a film director. Don't tell me. And I said, hang on, why are you going down there? Oh, I'm making a film about Billy Childish. <laughs> and I said, but but I'm making a film about Billy Childish. <laughs> <laughs> and um, But to be fair to him, he made what he was doing for Channel 4. He, he, he found out what I was doing and he made his thing completely different and when i saw his thing on channel four i thought great this allows me this this is what i'm doing is going to be valid because it's nothing right. it's nothing like nothing Tickell's like film at all paul Tickell's film and, and right. paul Tickell's a lovely guy he did um that film christy mowry's own double entry which was based on the mm -hmm. bs johnson book and um yeah and I, I was actually i was one of the few journalists at the time who who'd covered that and Luke Haynes did the soundtrack, yes. as you probably yeah. know. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I think I was mentioned they won an award, um, and I was mentioned as... Uh, I think Nick Moran, who was in the film, mentioned me as well because uh, I, I kind of really tried to to publicise it as much as possible. I, I guess it's that kind of... I don't know. We realised that we're, we we got the same kind of... Uh, Kindred spirit, yeah, shared ethos. That's exactly yeah. what I was looking for. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, we're going to hear some of the work of Mr. Childish. Um, got a couple of tracks here. This one is from The Headcoats, and this is Good Morning Little Soak. No, uh, oh. good, uh, good Morning Little Snob. Snob! I haven't got my glasses on. That would be why. Why did I say soak? That's really bad. Good Morning Little Snob. Good Morning Little Snob How are you today? Only rang up because I'm sad and your lungs are bad. 
You are listening to Dock and Roll Radio on Soho Radio. My name is Karen Shook. We started with the sound of Wivenhoe, nearly on the coast of Essex. And of course, we just heard the sound of the Medway, Chatham. To be precise, that was the Headcoats with Good Morning Little Snob. I've got the title right. And the reason that we're playing that, other than that, obviously, it's fabulous, is that we have Graham Bendel, director of two actually three fantastic music documentaries. We're talking about two of them today. Upstairs Planet with Martin about Martin Newell and the cleaners from Venus and then Billy Childish, who is not dead. So here's my question for you, Graham. As a film director, especially as a one-man show, you spend a hell of a lot of time with the subject of your film. Um, you must have, you know, you're joined at the hip, really, or at least chasing them around. How do you feel about the people that you've made these films about? Do you like Martin, for example? How do you feel about it? Oh, um, Martin, uh, Martin Neal. I mean, we really got on well um, during the filming. And I think I was really worried because um, I thought, you know, there's not going to be this tension between artist and filmmaker. And is it going to be just too sort of pally? And uh, oh, so you're worried about that? You're worried about it being too cozy? That's yes, I didn't want it. To, I didn't want to be. I don't want it to be too cozy, too pally. I don't want it to be sycophantic. Right. And I think there's um, a feeling when you watch Billy Childish is dead. I think you can maybe sense that I'm certainly I'm not a friend. We're not friend. We're not pals. And there's an maybe there's a slight intimidation. Um, you know, from the uh, point of view of the filmmaker towards the artist. And I just thought, is this... God, we're getting on so well. Is this Upset's Planet, uh, Martin Newell film, is, is this going to suffer because of that? But it, it didn't. It wasn't, it wasn't to do with that, and that didn't really factor in. And it was just more about Martin. He takes centre stage. He's the talented artist, the raconteur, the person who's he, you know he's so talented he hasn't been recognized for all his talents but mm -hmm. you know some of them but he hasn't kind of received all of his dues but yeah I think um with Billy um <laughs> yeah let's let's move on to someone that I think everybody would think if they were meeting him especially if they were making a film about him and their first film that's a bloody tall order I'll, that, I'll tell you some something with Billy as well. I mean, he's he is kind of he's very formidable. There's also a a, a, physic, a physicality about him. It's quite menacing. When, yeah, like when you when he opens the door and you see him, he's kind of quite tall. Um, and there's something about his physicality, his presence. He's got an aura that isn't that is quite intimidating, especially yeah for a first time filmmaker. But he's a he's a really lovely person i think deep really? down no i'm <laughs> no what am i talking about no he used to like phone me up and say things like um oh you know what bendel you're conniving scheming you're the most conniving scheming manipulative person i've ever met and then i'm i'm making that oh my god face you yeah can't see it, and then of you, but the next night he'd phone up and say oh you know what bendel you're like um dougal from father ted which is a bit what, of a, a charmer. Yeah, which is a contradiction because, you know, if you're yeah. really con conniving and manipulative, you're not Dougal. And he'd, I don't know, he just kind of 
we'd have really, really... Oh, I remember like I told him that uh, me and my brother had a fight. And, um, you know, it was quite serious and everything. And he'd be laughing his head off on the other end of the phone. And I'd do... Oh, God, I can't remember. Like, you know, I'd put the phone down. And then... But the funny thing is, he'd phone up and say, are you all right? So, oh, right. Really, so there was some... There, there was a really fun... Like, I remember my girlfriend at the time was going, like, what kind of... What relationship do you have here? It's so weird... The, yeah. the way you argue like cat and dog, you're screaming down the telephone. Seriously, screaming yeah. at each other. Yeah, yeah. Okay, you're a first-time filmmaker. Like, why didn't you run away and think, I don't need this man? Well, because you were doing him a favour, no, I've got to say. Well, thank you very much for really? that. Really? A- I, I didn't see it like that. And, and I mean, to be honest, when I, I say we're screaming down the phone, that was... When was I was the at the, that was at the end when I was at the end of my tether when right. I didn't really care anymore I thought you know what I don't care about this film I don't care if it doesn't get <laughs> Go made on. and but you know so we'd have an argument or something and then I'd put the phone down and then he'd phone up and say oh are you all right which was which showed that you know he can be very spiky but deep down he's you know quite a caring person okay and it, and um, but I think when I showed when uh, I showed the premiere of Billy Childish is Dead when it was shown. Afterwards, he phoned me up and he said, did you feel proud? Right. And, which was really, you know, it was really nice. And um, he, as in, you know, it was really good. You should feel proud. Did he actually say it was really good, though? Come on, tell me the truth. Did well, he ever say, hey, Graham, that was awesome? You know what he said once? He said, <laughs> you know what? I've talked to a few friends of mine. They've seen the, the film. You, you know what? It's, it's okay. I thought it was really... Sh- uh, rubbish. <laughs> no, he told you that. At uh, one point, and he said, you know what, I've, I got it wrong. Uh, friends not- of mine who I trust have seen it and they think it's really good. They think it's unpredictable. They think it's really good. And it comes down firmly on the side of me. You know, it's not yeah. kind of defamatory or anything. So, Bendel, it's good, right? But just don't go around thinking you're a genius now. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> So, so you make this film. It's your first film. It's with a difficult character. There's all kinds of, and 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 you were brave enough to go on and make more. I got to say, all credit to you. What I love about this film, other than that, I think, thank God, I don't have to hang out with Billy Childish, um, is that this really calm sort of look at a kind of interpersonal relationship argument dumpster fire off in the corner and you take your camera right up there when Charles Thompson from the Stuckus is going on about Tracy Emin stole everything from <laughs> Billy Childish and then some people won't appear and of course you've got great footage of Shane McGowan saying stuff over him, but other people who don't want to be in the film and you tell us that which I find amazing uh, I, I mean he I've got to be honest Watching him, he looks menacing. He doesn't look nice. Um, I kind of think I'm probably on Tracy Emmons' side there. Um, I mean, Charles makes a great, you know, case that she nicked everything from him, etc., etc. Then you have the warring art critics, one going, he's incredible and he's on the cover of a German magazine and they all think he's great. And then someone else from Channel 4 going, his work's crap. Wow, what great material, but how hard to sort it all out and and observe it all. Yeah, I mean, I, I it's kind of weird to think that I did that um, by myself. But at one point, <laughs> I forget now, I, I did have um, a, a, pr- a proper producer 
and he had all all the tapes, all, all the stuff I'd shot. And mm-hmm. I think, oh, that's what had happened. He want, he was waiting for Larry Clark to make a film about Billy Childish. Right. Uh, what, I think Larry Clark was going to make a film of one of Billy's novels. And he thought it, the film would only be relevant if Larry Clark made a film about him. I see. But I started thinking, well, no, you know, I want to make a film about this artist. I, I like this artist. And I don't need the um you know the go-ahead from anything that larry clark's doing sure so um yeah so i just kind of went went ahead and (laughs) eventually got all the tapes back and uh yeah made the film actually that's another chapter it's weird because i made this a long time ago so i forget about the ins and outs of actually making it and all the kind of production problems of which there are kind of many but um, yeah, yeah. So it's. I sometimes think, wow, I can't believe I, I did that all by myself. Um, With Billy Childers shouting at you on the phone from time to yeah, time. Yeah, that that was. Yeah, I mean, it was. I remember um, I got really ill as well. I never get ill, and um, yeah, I, I and it was because of the stress of making sure. the documentary about him, and and it was things like. I don't know, like, um, when things were going badly, I'd try and... um, I I was kind of shut out from his his kind of people a bit. And, you know, I'd try and be friendly to some of the people who knew him and uh, or maybe his wife or whatever. And, um, you know, I was totally blanked, totally ignored. And uh, so... Yeah, I remember. I, I, I was re- the whole thing was really stressful, and and you, I kind of really wanted to make the thing, and then it dawned on me that I, I probably couldn't, and it wasn't going to happen. Oh, no. But you know, when I think everything changed, when I managed to get the interview with Shane McGowan, <clears throat> uh, the interview with Shane McGowan in the bag, and um, yeah, and then I got that interview. Then I got another interview with someone else, and then it was starting to take shape. Um, yeah, and then when when it was shown and it went on DVD as well, it, it got a, a lot of you know a lot of people really liked it. But I, I, it's funny because you say that I was doing him a favor. In, I mean, a lot of people did see the film, but I did. I never felt like that. I felt that I was. I always felt that I was lucky to to make it to be able to make sure. it. And I think when, once it was made, and I thought. I always thought, like, oh, I've got away with that. <laughs> you know, how did I get away with that? You know, it's uh... what I mean is, you you need to accept that you put your creativity to the service, yes, of someone who's creative and you admire, but but it's not. Ex- and and of course, I know as a, as a filmmaker, building up credits with working with one artist makes it possible to do another project. But yes, it exactly. was a it was a a great gift i think of being patient of listening to him of watching of shaping something that gave an important truth about him about the people around him that you're not merely serving his art but you're creating your own thank you actually i mean i think there's not many people who'd make a film like that right i think it's quite idiosyncratic and i think um, say that again. <laughs> you guys have to watch this film. Let me just jump in here and say that we are showing it worldwide um, from the 17th of September until the 4th of October. And this is the world online premiere. So you can. But listen, Graham, so, do, you know, you have to accept you made a, a, a thing that followed your singular vision. 
maybe not with as much shouting and uh, as as Billy, but don't don't you accept the validity of of the fact that you created a piece of art? Yeah, I, I mean, I'm very proud of it. I'm very proud of it, and sometimes I'm being a bit uh, over modest, maybe. Yeah, but a lot of people loved it. I mean, a- Andrew Retherall was. Um, he really, he, I think he said, um, oh, I spoke to him on the phone um, you know, afterwards, after I'd made it, and he said, I doff my cap to you. Um, it's oh, a great well it's yeah. a great film. It's really good. And um, <clears throat> he also said, we've, uh, I was asked to phone him or something, and he said, oh, we've been talking about you. And um, Who's we, do you him know? Him and his friends, apparently, they'd, wow. they'd kind of, they would, they worked out that I put out certain things like um various books various records and then did the Billy Childish thing and they were like apparently having a conversation about me which is a massive compliment but that's typical of um Andrew Weatherall because he was a he was man. always looking uh under the radar trying to discover new things so new talent. if there's some guy who's making a lo-fi thing about Billy Childish he's going to want to know right uh and I mean, he he was a lovely person, Andrew. And I I remember once sort of think it's the first time I'd seen him with short hair, and he was at a Buff Medway's Billy Childish gig, and he was I remember him just like I looked to the right and he was drawing on a cigarette, I think it was a cigarette, <laughs> and uh, he was you know really pulling hard, just really enjoying the music moment, on, yeah. on, on stage, which was Billy, and uh, other people, Stuart Lee. I think I I think I I think I introduced Stuart Lee to. Billy Childish through uh, Billy Childish is Dead because he was saying that a lot of people think that he should like Billy Childish but he's because, yeah he's got you know too many things he's obsessed with already absolutely um, The Fall and um, other things um, oh, Giant he's talking sand, about De- Derek of, he's Bailey or whatever fan. you know improvisational yeah. music and um and I think after he saw that, he, he liked. He said he liked it, and he he started reviewing Billy's records. So I suppose actually, yeah, I might be being a bit modest. Yeah, I suppose it did open certain doors where you know it kind of got people who wouldn't have maybe got into his music. You know, because of the documentary, they watched it and they really liked it, and then they got more into his stuff. But Can- it is weird as well because there's a surprising amount of. Someone was saying a friend of mine, Johnny Johnny Halifax. I think, I think it was him. Um, he, he was saying that there's a lot of um, Billy Childish fans that um, you think has seen it and they haven't seen it, which is really odd. But right. that's, I think, because Billy, he's got so many things to promote. Sure. He, and, you know, he, he kind of spends time promoting things that are all his. Um, so he maybe doesn't, you know, Martin Newell's different. Him and his manager... They completely got behind Up Says Planet and we worked on it like a real team and, and it's been great. You know, with the first stock and roll premiere, um, it did really well and, um, you know, Martin was plugging it the whole time. Martin's manager was, he's a really great guy, uh, Johnny. And um, and it was, it was really kind of weird working, making a film about a kind of, uh, an artist and then having them just so into it and just wanting to promote it and tell everyone about it uh quite a change i guess from the more complex relationship yeah with- and, and with vic goddard which we haven't broached mm. too much too much uh today but <laughs> that was another 
Definitely want to hear about that. But one question I haven't asked you about the the Billy film is um, what led, you know, were you always a fan of the head coats of Billy Childish's work? Is that why you thought, okay, I'm going to make my first film and it's going to be about him? Uh, Or was it a question of opportunity or maybe you didn't know his work very well, but you were... Oh, no, with... Um, I think the one thing I, I felt intimidated by the idea of making a film, not knowing what to do particularly. Yeah. But because I'd seen the milkshakes when I was twelve years old, I was the youngest person. What? At you were gigs. twelve. Where did you see them? Tell me. Um, Which Hammersmith Clarendon. Nice. I okay. used to go there all the time. Right. And you were twelve. Uh, oh, twelve. <laughs> no, twelve. I think was the first time I saw. Them. I was about thirteen, and then I was fourteen. And I think I was thinking, how did I get into these gigs? Yeah. But I think it's because I had very, I had a big quiff. They couldn't see it, under it to know that you should have been in bed, basically. <laughs> well, what what I'd do is uh, the quiff, I'd pull, the, my hair would go right down over my face. So you couldn't really see my face. So um, It was another time, ladies and gentlemen. Yes. That's yes. when quiffs look like that. Yeah, yeah, and I think it was in the middle of that whole psychobilly sort of thing as well. Right. And uh, I was into the kind of garage trash scene. So I was really young and I went to these gigs and I saw the milkshakes about 30, 40 times. And, um, yeah, we were the babies at, at those gigs. And, um, yeah, so I, and then I saw the head coats as well. But later I got, I got back into Billy in the 90s, uh, mid-90s. And then I wrote a, a piece about him for The New Statesman. Right. Um, which was more about the... Uh, Tracy Emin, sorry, Billy's influence on Tracy Emin. Sure. Which was a really, really good piece, even if I do say so myself. You should say so yourself. Because it was, was, and Billy loved it as well. And that's kind of when we got talking a lot. And Charles Thompson, he liked it as well. And I I, I originally, me and a friend, a director friend, we were going to make the film together but with me as the kind of journalist type person and him as the sort of director. And funnily enough, I saw him, I saw him today just, and I blanked him. <laughs> we, we, <laughs> That's how they roll in Soho, yeah, the filmmakers. Because, <laughs> well, we fell out and I... And, Our um, producer is Claire is laughing. <laughs> she lives in Soho. She's just laughing silently. <laughs> well, we fell out over the, the film and I ended up taking it on. Right. And it's just because, like, he saw me about a couple of years ago and he he drove up to me in the street and he said, hey, let's put all this arguing and the Billy Childish is dead film behind us and let's go for a drink. And and uh, I said, yeah, let's do that. You know, sorry, you know, I, sorry for all the arguments we had and all the death threats. But, you know, <laughs> let's have a let's have a drink together. <laughs> and um, and then. So I thought, okay, and then they never got in contact with me. And I, I was like kind of, you know, on social media trying to contact him, saying, hey, let's go for this drink and messaging him. And he, so I thought, I'm blank. next time I see him, I'm blanking him. And that blank was today. Blank him, double blank him. Like blank him, walk past, come back and blank him again. That's my, <laughs> that's, that's, how, that's how you really got to roll in. That's Soho. what I should have done just to make sure that he really got the message. Got the message. But, <laughs> the Soho blank. But, but he's, you know, he, he, what was he doing after? I mean, in some ways I did him a favour taking on the Billy Childress thing because he, he ended up directing episodes of Doctor Who and um, he Otherwise he would have been stuck. He would have been stuck with Billy Childish shouting at him on the phone. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so yeah. listen. I did I, him a massive favour. Speaking of disagreements and stuff, one of the things I love most about Billy Childish's dad is 
of course, with documentaries, usually you, you follow a narrative where you get, you know, a member of Pearl Jam to come on and say why the artist is great. And then their teacher saying, I always knew they would be great. And, and um, you know, other quirky characters, plus well-known people, early band members, and, and maybe you focus on disagreements, but mostly it's the edges are smoothed off. You don't smooth any of the edges off. But I wonder how you feel listening to Holly Golightly talking about stuff that I'm uh, about Billy Childish, where I'm listening to it and going, yeah, he sounds like a massive, yeah, that doesn't sound nice. And then there's Charles, like, you know, he's Team Billy going, Tracy Emin made everything up. And the two critics, as I mentioned, and, you know, there's there's a range of opinions there. How do you make it all fit together uh, and and be compelling rather than having people go, whoa, don't know what's going on here, but I don't want to get involved. Well, I mean, that, that is, yeah, I think, well, how did I do that? Actually, I'm trying to remember, but you just reminded me of something talking about Holly Golightly, because one of the discussions I had with Billy was um, Holly was filmed in a kind of red light. Right. And he said she, it makes her look like, um, like a hooker or something. I said, no, it doesn't. What are you talking about? And he was so paranoid that it kind of, because they had a, a, a thing between yeah. them uh, before. And he he thought the the film was kind of portraying her in a sort of funny, um, in a de- derogatory or defamatory way. Oh, so he was way. worried about it looking negative about yeah. her. Yeah. Right, okay, and, so... And I was like going, no way, this is just in your imagination. This is like, no one else would think that. But he was he's very ultra-sensitive, which made... Which made making the thing really really difficult sometimes because he'd focus on something that's really kind of he'd see it and other people wouldn't see it right because it's all about him and his friends and people he knows and i'd have to like spend ages saying no i'm, I'm there's no i'm not going to cut it i'm not going to reshoot it with a different light she it's her light she picked the light it's an, and the funny thing is holly go lightly said she wanted to do she wanted to film to be filmed looking really kind of disheveled like Joan Crawford or <laughs> Betty Davis from whatever happened to right. baby Jane right. so she was uh you know so imagine if she did that what um, yeah, what Billy would have said wow mm. it's really hard getting that much um shall we say creative input from the subject did you ever want to go you know what I've shot this I'm going to come back when it's done leave me alone <laughs> were you ever tempted or did you not have the ability to do that no I mean I I, I had to be really polite um a lot of the time except when i got to the end of my tether and i was like really i then i just became a very long tether i've just got to say that oh actually (laughs) i'm just remembering now billy phoned um my flatmate i was living in king's cross and um are you allowed to swear on here i think you can yeah claire has given us the thumbs up oh like billy childish he, he phoned up my flatmate and he, he asked what's graham like i just want to know what he's like is he a kind of good person and stuff and right i think my <laughs> my flatmate was sort of um probably a bit out of it and he just he fit he thought someone was playing a game and he just went i oh, fuck off like who the fuck is this and and he started um really <laughs> laying into like billy and really insulting him but then he realised it was actually really Billy Childish. You know, he, I think he thought I was putting on his voice or right, something. Right, right. But then he said, 
he realised it was really Billy and he said something like, oh, Graham is one of the best people I know. I don't, I don't know anyone better than Graham. He's like, a, you know, a saint. He's um, this, he's like... <laughs> Really, um, he's really honest, and he was. And then, and I don't know what he said, but it actually made Billy. Billy was like, "Oh right, okay, thanks for telling me this." Oh. And um, I'll ignore the swearing that you said at the beginning of the conversation. But thanks for saying about this. Uh, uh, you know, it kind of it does resonate. There's so many weird things. I'm just remembering all of these things. They're all coming back. This is like therapy. <laughs> well, I was thinking, obviously, there's a trust issue when you make a film about somebody, even if they're not Billy Childish, right? You know, um, my view is that you did a great thing by making a great film about somebody and he should be bloody happy. Um, but, you know, aside from anything else, allowing it's hard enough... You're a journalist. You know what it, it's hard enough for an artist to sit and talk to you in a hotel lobby for an hour about their new record and give away the power for you to write what you want. Um, but making a film is a whole other level of shit. What's going to come out of this? So uh, you say you don't want to be too cozy. You want to remain objective. But I can totally see why it's always going to be a difficult relationship for a director to negotiate with an artist, right? Because he he is ceding control to you to a certain degree. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it is it is kind of difficult. Um, but I, I think one of the greatest things um, someone said about the film was, and it, this kind of really made me happy, was they said it was an unsycophantic documentary. And that was yep. in um, the Evening Standard. And they made it their DVD of the week when it came out on DVD. And that was really surreal. I mean, for the Evening Standard to kind of be um, to it's make not it not really their thing. We've got yeah, to say it's it, it's, to, <laughs> it's totally not their thing. And they they watched it. They really loved it, and they really got the, the whole thing. And um, yeah, they said it was an unsycophantic documentary. And they said maybe a little bit long on what was it the psychological motivations behind him, which I thought right. was. I thought it was a bit of a plus. I thought it was a, a bonus because I was I wanted to make it a little bit less superficial and a, you know sort of delve a little bit deeper. But um, yeah, yeah, it, so yeah, it's, that's an important thing as as well to to do something that's not a hagiography to to not make the person out to be a saint. I mean, I've seen so many documentaries that are basically go, like EPKs, like they're yeah. like a record company promo that goes that. Oh, absolutely, yeah. and oh, and. Oh, isn't this person great? And they're so wonderful. And um, and it does. It's not challenging. There's no tension. Um, there is a hell of a lot of tension in this film. I got to say. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good. That's good. And I'm kind of glad as well that um, because at the time it was a really big big thing about the Tracy Emin thing and him of and course, the relationship yeah. and the influence and the fact that his influence wasn't being recognised. And now that time has passed, I'm kind of glad that I didn't. I mean, some people could have made that the whole All film. All about that, just that, yeah. And I'm so glad. I kind of instinctively knew that that was a, the wrong way to go. I think, in fact, you know, certain producers, when I was with them, wanted that to be the whole to film. To be about, yeah, Team and, Tracy uh, versus Team So when Brilliant. I took it away and did it on my own, yes, I, I, I thought, you know, make it about him, his music, his writing, his poetry and all that stuff, and, and the Tracy Emin to be just a small part of it. Which, yeah, which makes it relevant. And it's still interesting as well because everyone still remembers who she is. And, you know, she, I mean, she's not always in the, the public eye, but she hasn't gone away. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I kind of quite like her, really. You know, so. Ah, this is what I wanted to ask you, how you come down on it. But l- listen, let's listen to some more music. So you gave us a Milkshakes track. This is I'm Out of Control, what, uh, I think, as I'm squinting yes, at it. yeah. Why did you pick this one? Um, because it's the only Milkshakes, well, there's two Milkshake songs in the film. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't remember the other one. <laughs> <laughs> So, yes, (laughs) so I chose this one. And I I really, and also I like it. That's the other other reason, the other criteria. Yeah, let's hear it. That was... Vic Goddard and Subway Sacked with Ambition. Actually, I was thinking about the ambitions of the three people that you've made these amazing films about, Graham. And and by any standard measure of music industry ambition, Vic Goddard, Martin Newell and Billy Childish are failures, right? By the platinum album standard. Yeah, absolutely. But I'm I'm not really kind of interested in... um, well, I mean, I'm interested in those sort of people, uh, as um, Zoe Howe was saying, uh, you know, people who fell down the cracks. I'm kind of interested in the people who are forgotten about or who haven't quite received their dues. But that's not entirely fair to all those artists because they do have, like, a very strong appeal and a very strong international appeal as well. But it's still, you know, it's limited. And But I think of all those people... Um, I think the person who really deserves more uh, his dues more, I think, is Martin Newell. Um, and and it's kind of weird because the, you know the cleaners from Venus. Um, I just know, you know, everyone, not everyone, but you know, people know about Billy. They know about Subway Sect, and they know about um, Daniel Johnston and all these kind of um, cult artists, but. A lot of people who like all that kind of thing, they still don't know Cleaners from Venus. There's a lot of people who know all the names and all those kind of bands and all, all you know, the Robin Hitchcock thing. And mm-hmm. But they just have got no idea about Martin Yule or the Cleaners from Venus. And in some ways, some of those Cleaners from Venus songs are the most kind of mainstream or, or the most accessible Um which I, I found, you know, very sort of interesting, but um, it's kind of, you know, it's, well, that's a you know, story in itself. Why, why don't people know about this guy? Why don't they know? He's, he's so kind of talented, he's so prolific, and he's so charismatic, and he's so kind of easy to, to kind of get into, because when... Right, and it's not so, difficult music. Absolutely. It's not kind of drone music or noise core or... Napalm Death or something like that. It's it's just very kind of s- someone in the film. You know, I don't think it's going to be a spoiler, but you know, they, they say it, it, he could have been Simple Minds. Mm, he, yeah. he could have done Stage and Rock. Cleaners from Venus. Uh, sorry, Cleaners from Venus could have been doing Stadium gigs. Um, you know, quite easily had you know th- things gone a different way. Yeah, a different way. Yeah. A- absolutely. Um, and, and surely you must feel that in making that film, you're doing a bit to say, hey, look at this. This is 
if you like these kinds of things, you'll like this. He, uh, he's a great writer and a great songwriter. You, you, you must feel that that's at least part of the motivation in making this documentary. Oh, absolutely. To, to introduce uh, people to the other sides of him. Um, I mean, he was recognised as a writer because he used to write for um, various newspapers and he had columns that he'd do. and um, TV host, TV presenter. Yes, he he did all of that. Um, But uh, he still, maybe his, um, some of the the novels he's done, the the, the bigger kind of uh, pieces of writing, they definitely haven't got the acknowledgement that they deserve. Um, but he, he's just like a fascinating character. And, you know, we've, uh, you asked about me getting on mm. with him. And yeah. we've like had chats on the phone and we talk about everything from the the EU to the amount of butterflies that died during the Stones gig at Hyde Park in 1969 to people, um, to Steely Dan rehearsing guitarists to all sorts of things. And it's kind of weird because like, because of his condition and um, maybe the way I am as well, the the um, conversations go on for like, you know, hours on the phone. It's, it's uh, really, you know, it's, it, we really get on, I, I, I think. It and sounds it, like a friendship um, that came out of a shared creative project. But it's funny as well because um, I think he wanted to be my friend on social media, but I didn't want to be friends on social media with him because... <laughs> is this what you learn in Soho? You blank people and then you don't follow people. This is no. Um, I'm really starting to learn about you. The people. reason is because I, I've alienated so many people with um, you know my political rants and everything. You know I'm quite left wing. Um, not not my political rants saying I'm I'm into the extreme right wing or anything because that would be a bit weird. But yeah, you know, and sometimes um, he might not. You know, certain people. Um, I, I don't, if I, you know, I'm trying to promote a film, I don't want um, don't the to subject distract, of yeah. my film to suddenly develop a, a strong distaste <laughs> for me because... I love I'm, his work, but not that thing about... <laughs> because, you know, I don't know, because I'm for the EU or right. against it or whatever, you know. So it just makes things complicated. Sure. And also there have been times when I've gone on social media, not recently, but, you know, I got really drunk and then I... We've all it. been there, Graham. We've and and I've, I've made slightly bold statements where I hate <laughs> everyone and I tell them this and, and, and all sorts of things. And you just don't need that in your life if you're trying to make a film and promote it. So, um, but yeah, yeah, I think, I think we're, um, we, I think we get, get on really well. Um, but I'm, I'm always, I still am intimidated by these people that I make films about. I, don't, I never get too chummy with them. Sure. Like um, <clears throat> making a film about Vic Goddard, I mean, it took me ages to sort of really talk to him. Um, and I'd hired him to play at um, a book launch I did when I put out Nico's book, um, Songs They Never Play on the Radio, written by James Young. You which, hired Vic Goddard to play at your book launch. I know, because he loved the book. How cool is that? I know, I know. I mean, it wasn't... <laughs> um, oh, that was the most amazing book launch. And, uh, yeah... Subway Sect played and David Devonts and his spirit wife who are amazing. Oh my gosh. Actually, um that'd be a great um 
David DeMont and his spirit wife are another favourite of mine. I mm-hmm. should, you know, one day I make a film about them. Remember well them. from my music journalist days. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> so what I want to know is, okay, so you were a child film director. You made this Billy Childish film, Billy Childish is Dead, which we are screening via Doc and Roll TV from the 17th of September till the 4th of October. So go to docandrollfestival.com to find it. Um, I'm sure making your first film is a huge learning curve. What did this film teach you? Um, I think all I think all the films. Well, actually, the first film I made was it taught me to have the courage of my convictions. To, and I think anything I do, to be honest, it's to do. Uh, the reason I can do these things is because I believe in them. And, you know, I believed in Billy as an artist. I believed in Vic as an artist. I believe in Martin as an artist and someone that more people should know about. And, you know, I I think everyone suffers from self-doubt and negativity. And a lot of the time I'm thinking, oh, I can't do this or I shouldn't do this or I wouldn't make a good film about this person. Someone else should do it. But it's because when you, you know, when you believe in something, you strongly believe in it, you can do it. And that kind of... Um, means that you kind of conquer those kind of doubts and, uh, and uh, you know, put yourself out there and, and do these things that you, you actually find out that you can achieve. So I guess it's, um, yeah, it's a positive message all around. <laughs> and so what's next for Graham Bendel, besides getting back on the tube with, with your mask? Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what, yeah. What's coming up next for you? Well, Actually, in lockdown, um, I thought, wouldn't it be... I wish that I could do something like write a novel in lockdown because, you know, you hear about all these people who've done all these creative things. And um, somehow I managed... Well, I wrote a novella. I mean, it's short. I like to call it a novel. It's short. But um, I managed to write um, a short novella. Um, Don't ask me what it's about because it's too crazy. I won't ask you. You're you're giving me that look. I'm not going to ask you. (laughs) Don't worry. And um, so I did that. And uh, I also came up with a um, um, a quiz show format, an idea for a quiz show. And that uh, that is probably either the best quiz show there's ever been or possibly the worst one. And... um, I'm hesitating to ask. You don't yeah, want to give. You don't you want know, to give it away. You'll have to blank me in Soho. I mean, it's a okay. couple of friends of mine. I've um, I've tried to explain what the rules of the quiz show are, and essentially, you know, cut a long story short, they're not friends of mine anymore uh, because it, it was just insanity. This idea that I've come up with for a quiz show, and uh, so let's kind of put that to the side. Okay. A uh, one thing. That I did do well is is quite recently. That was different, and I really really enjoyed doing it. Was um, I co-wrote a song for the band Snapped Ankles? Okay, you mentioned this before. How the heck did that happen? Well, it was I did a poem a while back called um, "Timothy Leary Teaches Weight Watchers Classes in Crouch End," and the lead so singer. So reportage, basically. That's just like a <laughs> yes, headline. Yeah, it's just, mm-hmm. just saying how it was. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And um, the lead singer of Snapped Ankles. He took the poem and he, he kind of put music alongside it. Or he took some of the poem or he took sort of... The best know, bits. And, um, yeah, he adapted it for a song and it's called Drink and Glide, which is on their album. And, uh, in fact, it was um, in a trailer for the new Armando Anucci, um project, which I can't remember what it's called now. 
Avenue Five or something like that. And so you are that, that a was, Soho boy, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> that was that was really exciting, and and also Snapped Ankles. Um, I don't know if you've heard of them, but they're they're a uh-huh. band. They're kind of a cross between kraut rock and television, and they dress as kind of like privet hedges or something like right, they, right. They're, they're very kind of that look yes that that look yeah. <laughs> it used to be quite common once that's upon right time. yeah they brought it back i'm so glad and too. so they're they're quite a spectacle when you see them live and um yes uh, and in fact i wanted to manage them if i didn't do the martin Newell film but i hadn't actually that was just something i thought about i hadn't told anyone that but, uh, Did you tweet it late at night when you were drunk? I am now managing. No, I, I think I wanted to. Uh, I was going to approach them and say, "Look, can I manage you?" I don't know about managing a band, but, but I, I really, heck? you know, I think you're a great band. But I think they got a lot of, you know, they got better a just to write a song with them. I think. Yes. Yes. So definitely. is it out now? Yes. Yes. It, oh, right. it came out a while back. Um, but I'd I'd like to do something like more more like that as well. But. Uh, Applications on a postcard, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, to noted filmmaker, poet and novelist Graham Bendel, who has been my guest and who has to run off for a better offer right now. But um, thank you for coming in. Thank you so much. I've really enjoyed today. It's been great. Well, we are so chuffed to be showing both of these films on Doc and Roll TV from the 17th through the 4th. Go to docandrollfestival.com. It's very easy. You can sign up. It's streaming worldwide. They're slightly uncomfortable, but the music is awesome and the filmmaking is great. Thank you, Graham. Thank you. Thank you very much, Karen. And thanks, Claire, as well. And let's hear some music. You've been listening to Bonnie Prince Billy and his mate, Matt. Matt Sweeney. That was Super Wolf. And the reason I was playing that and that track was My Home is the Sea. And before that, David Thomas Broughton, although it could be Broughton, not quite sure. But both those artists are the subject of music documentaries that are available on Doc and Roll TV. So I thought that might be a nice way to nearly round out today's show. Uh, Graham Bendel has gone off to probably blank someone on the way home uh, or maybe find another great British cult art, English cult artist to make a film about. But before I leave you, and you have been listening to Doc and Roll Radio on Soho Radio, I have some pretty exciting updates coming up. Okay, you know there's been this thing, COVID. You may know that uh, we're coming up for our seventh annual Doc and Roll Music Festival, Doc and Roll Music Documentary Festival in London. You may have asked yourself, you may have asked yourself, are we going to have one this year? Well, the good news is that we will. We will have one, COVID notwithstanding. So our seventh edition is going to be delivered via a scaled-down hybrid model. We will still have some live public screenings in cinemas, the whole thing with cinema seats and popcorn and the whole thing, and 12 online-only screenings. We're also going to have online Q&As, and it's going to run from the 4th to the 15th of November, and we're opening at the BFI South Bank, so get us, right? 
that is always a great place to open the festival. And we're going to have a we're going to kick it off with a very special world premiere of a documentary profiling a much loved British singer songwriter. Who you ask? I am not at liberty to tell you, but we are going to announce the full program on Tuesday, the 6th of October. And you can find out more about that at dockandrollfestival.com. You can follow us on social media. Um, we we like social media. G- Graham Bendel obviously feels that he shouldn't follow people on social media, but but I get that. Anyway, if you want to find out what we are screening in the 7th, annual Dock and Roll Music Documentary Festival in London. Check back on Tuesday, the 6th of October. I do have a couple of other things to tell you. Last time I was on, we were talking about We Out Here, fantastic um, music festival, which happened virtually this year. So we screened a couple of films and uh, we raised money during those virtual screenings um, for uh, a good Black Lives Matter related cause. So we raised um, 250 pounds and made a donation to the Jericho movement. Um, do check them out if you would like to know more about them. And also contributed to crowd- crowdfunding for the We Out Here All um, 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 event. And money was given to six charities, again, profiling racial justice. So I think those were the key things I needed to tell you. By the time November rolls around, it will be cold, it will be dark, but we will be showing great music documentaries in London. And before I leave you, we've listened to nothing but blokes, all of this show. Okay, fair enough. But we're going to leave with a great track uh, by a female artist, from the Netherlands named Roast Beef, and this is Sterimaisha. So 